welcome to the NBA podcast. My name is Justin Pierce and I'm the editor. This is a series called CMO Confidential. We talk to CMOs who, while not digital in job title, have digital understanding and knowledge in their very DNA. And Pete Markey could not be a better example of just this. He recently joined Boots as CMO from TSB, where he's also CMO, and has held marketing director and CMO roles at companies like Aviva, Post Office, and RSA. Pete is one of the most engaging, inspirational, effective, and to be honest, just hugely likable marketers around. And I'm delighted to speak to him today to discuss the role of the modern CMO, its role in driving businesses, and intriguingly, about how you'd be able to find out the number of golf balls in the air at any one time. So Pete, thanks for joining me in the NDA studio. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. I would say that it's, it's our, we're at home, but you know, it's, it's nice to... It's a great home studio. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. So you are the second uh, person in our new series, CMO Confidential. We're talking to CMOs who, as I describe it, have digital in their DNA, if not in their job title. It's definitely, definitely sums up you, I think. So let's kick off and find out about what, about what you're up to now. Because you've just joined Boots in the last four weeks. How's that transition been? Yeah, it's been really great. Boots is a fantastic business with uh, digital at its heart and very much with an exciting agenda in terms of uh, transformation of data at uh, the core of what it's looking to do. Um, and yeah, prior to that, I've just uh, finished a spell of just under four years in banking, working for TSB. So I've come fresh from uh, a data and digital transformation over there as well. Fantastic. Okay, so we're talking about the CMO role today. And let's kick off with, and it's a broad question, but what, what does the CMO role mean to you? What is it? I think it's three main words, actually, which is um, artist, scientist, and politician. So the first of which I say as an artist, as a CMO, you've got to have a really great handle on great creative and great creativity. You've got to have an eye for even the smallest detail on website copy or a display creative or an email right through to bigger brand activity. You've got as a CMO to have a really good eye for what makes great creativity and also think you've got to bring creativity into the business you're in you've got to be the artist the creative person in a business if i take banking as a good example banking is fantastic um, but banking has a lot of people who are quite logical straightforward thinkers and actually bringing some creative thinking in alongside that is very complementary and can work really well the scientist bit has been the growth part of the cmo role which is the second word i'd use which is all about the understanding of data analytics how to better reach your customers and reach your audience. Um, plus also actually being able to understand and interpret performance data. So how's your activity working or not working and what are you learning? And being able to represent that in the language of the organization or the business you're in. And then the final one being politician or statesman is basically being the champion or representative of marketing within the business you're in. Often we forget that we don't market mar do marketing of marketing within the teams or the businesses we're in. And actually, for me, what stood me in good stead as a CMO has been having a narrative behind what's the marketing team there to do, what journey we're on, and what stage are we at in that journey. If it's transformation, greater use of data, acceleration into more digital or whatever, I think having, having that narrative is absolutely critical. So, yeah, so part artist, part scientist, part politician, slash statesman. Fantastic. Good answer. So... You know, this is this series is about talking to people like you, but we've definitely seen a change in the the digital sort of experience and expertise within CMOs over the last few years. But how important do you think the rise of the, the digital literate and digitally experienced CMO is? 
I think it's enormous. I, I think it's, I'd say it's broader in, in CMOs need to get a handle around the total customer experience, which digital, depending on what business you're in, digital is a vital or essential or core component of that. And I think it's very hard to shape any form of direction for your brand or uh, a view on the communications that go out or the wider activities of your team, whether it's proposition development or greater analytics, if you haven't got a handle on the day-to-day experience you provide for your customers. Um, there's a model I love that Interbrand used about how you bring your brand purpose to life. And it has four boxes on it. And basically, they would argue that the, the first of those boxes is, is communications. And most marketing teams can get stuck there into just in communications. It leaves you quite isolated. But they'd argue if you really want to bring the purpose of your brand to life for your customers, it's not just communications. It's about the products and services you provide customers. It's about the experience through the environment and channels, such as a website or a store or a shop. And then it's about the people and culture. So the people you interact with through that business, whether it's through a live chat online, whether it's over the phone or whether it's through the store. So I think as, as, you know, in terms of what I've seen within marketing is more and more the CMO role is to have a handle or a view or sponsorship across all four of those boxes to deliver the purpose of the brand. And if you, where I, I see that going wrong is where, as I say, marketers get stuck with the communications aspects but don't widen their influence out to tackle the others or to get a handle on the other areas. And experience is, a, as you say, an increasingly important part of that role. And you've got to, in my view, get the experience bit right, otherwise you're not delivering properly on your purpose or promise. Love that gets stuck in communications. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so let's talk about, about technology. Obviously, everything you, you just mentioned really has got some sort of foothold in technology. We see reports all the time about the buying power of the CMO compared to the CIO. You know, the CMOs... Um, 30% of their budget spent on technology. We see that in organisations, more and more reports saying that the CMOs are spending more and more, even than the CIO. So how's the relationship between the CMO and the CIO changing, do you think? What does that mean for the businesses in which they sit? It's got to come closer together. And I, I've been lucky both in you know, Boots, where I am now, and in TSB previously, to work with some fantastic uh, CIO, uh, CIOs. And I think... Um, if I take the TSB example, you know, working to secure as we did investment in a, in a big spend within the Adobe Experience platform, and if I look at what we're doing within Boots and the, the transformation there, and uh, the opportunity that we're space we're, we're going towards again with with Adobe, um, that's come through really great co-working and sponsorship co-creation with the CIO function, and so that those uh, relationships are really key. I think it also helps when you've got you know again if I take the TSB example. There was already a strategic relationship with Adobe through the CIO into things like Adobe Forms. So, so actually, there are, you can piggyback on existing relationships and partnerships together rather than marketing sort of going off and doing its own thing. And ultimately, you need that CIO function to deliver. Um, the critical bit I found is just getting, getting goal alignment because where I've seen this work less well is when you've got a marketing team with sort of a opposite uh, purposes, your cross-purposes with, with, with a CIO function, if your goals align, and ultimately they should align around, around a growth agenda, and you can get on that growth agenda, things like MarTech or uh, you know, constant improvements or iterations of your website, which are, some of those things feel like no-brainers, but they're not in every business. Um, you get that alignment, then it can become a really powerful combination working with the CIO. And together, you co-sponsoring it uh, makes any project, in my experience, stand a much better stance, uh, chance of uh, moving forward. The key thing is the alignment, though. Get the alignment right, and then um, you know, you've know you got a much uh, smoother path through things. 
mean, have you seen seen you know we talk about the CMO role, but have you seen the CIO role changing on those lines? As you say, you know, working together on on Adobe Spirit platform, Adobe. You know, when I started off as a young journalist twenty years ago, Adobe was an IT company, really. You know, it sold things in boxes, and now it's one of the biggest sort of marketing companies in the world. So there's been a rapid change in vendors. Has that led to a change in the role of CIO too? Yeah, I think I guess similar to the CMO role, isn't it? I mean, the role is evolving and obviously increasingly becoming digital. And so the need for the CIO, but equal, I could argue, the CMO is to stay at the top of your game in understanding the latest technology and the application of that and the role that can play in helping drive the right kind of, of, of business growth. Um, and I've always found key to that is working with really great partners, uh, you know, and, and I, you know, TSB, we were lucky enough to work with, you know, we worked with Accenture and IBM. Uh, we work with Merkel on the data side of things, which is fantastic. I've worked with Merkel previously uh, at Aviva. And also, yeah, from the CMO side, working with great creative agencies and great media agencies. You, you, and I guess same, same as I say with the CIO uh, organization is work with great people, you know, work with great partners who are constantly encouraging you to raise the bar on what you're doing and, uh, and bringing you up to speed on the latest uh, technology or the latest opportunities and improvements you can make to, uh, to drive that level of, of growth. So I think it's that, you know, for me, this constant continuous improvement drive has been the bit that's fueling more and more of the CIO and the CMO job. This sort of need that we can't stand still. We've got to keep evolving, keep improving, keep changing things. And if you, again, as I say, if you can get those wheels in, in motion together, CIO and CMO, that kind of constant transformation, positive change agenda, it is very powerful. And what about sort of the other side, not speaking of everyone, but we, we know that silos are always a problem, organisational or industry-wide. You know, are there any sort of issues with, you know, charity battles, that sort of thing? You're talking, things like MarTech, I mean, who is, I should own it because I'm this in the IT department, I should own it because I'm in the marketing, does that sort of thing go on? Um, I've not I've not seen that as long as you, I mean, the key thing is uh, is deciding that up front. When you're doing a, a, a MarTech project, for example, if I take TSB as probably a, uh, an example from recent memory, we agreed up front the, the rules of engagement around which team would own which bit of what and how we wanted the ecosystem to work. That was really helpful because then when you enter the project, you're clear, well, who's delivering which bit when? What what would I as CMO be responsible for? What would the CIO team own? And how do we together want that to work? Um, and that's you know really powerful when you can get that bit right and agree up front. Where it becomes more problematic is when you sort of enter it and there's a sort of confusion over, well, I thought I was doing that and well, you thought you were doing that. And so, um, which sounds silly, doesn't it? But you can sometimes find yourself there. So it's to agree the engagement model up front that you, you want. And I've seen a number of models work from the IT team uh, deploying a tool like Adobe by building campaigns for you through to marketing teams owning that bit of the process. So, so I think as CMO, you've got to be really clear where do you want to be in that process uh, and that way of working? My personal view would be only only insight and intelligence of which customers you want to target, which audiences you want to target, with what message and when. But as a CMO, I don't think you have to own the you know the, the core technology platforms or the infrastructure. I, I'm quite happy for that to to sit within a, a CIO function, you know, for that to be run from there, and that to be great ways of of working in coordination between the teams to make it all happen. Perfect. Okay, let's talk a bit about the CMO itself. You, you kicked off talking about what it meant to you, but how do you think the CMO role as a function has evolved over the last five years? Because the world's, well, let's ignore the pandemic for the moment, but five years ago, even five years ago, the world's a very different place. So how's and CMO role changed that you've seen? I think the expectations of the role have changed a lot. If I go back five, six years ago, 
Um, the role of, of brand and the role of your CMO to drive the brand, particularly the brand as a creative vehicle, I think was was actually probably very high on the list, if not the top thing on the list. So if you were being approached for CMO role, the conversation was largely around the impact you'd made through campaign activity you'd run or through the, through the brand itself. I think that it's very much shifted now. So that, that I'm not belittling that element because it's still a really important part of what every CMO does. However, large or small the company you work in, delivering the purpose of your brand and how you do that is still really key. But the conversation has really shifted towards you know, how progressive are you as a CMO in your thinking and the levers you want, you can pull to drive growth, particularly the use of um, better, smarter use of data, the partners you want to work with to deploy that data, um, you know, and some of the technologies we've referenced already in, in the MarTech landscape. So as a CMO, I, I guess I go back to my artist, scientist, but politician mention is, it's the science bit that's really, really being dulled up. There's an expectation that CMOs are very commercial, all over their numbers and, and all over the progressive side of where mass personalization, greater focus, greater targeting opportunities come from, as opposed to, I think the balance was probably more on the, the, uh, the creative side in the past, which is still important, but that middle bit of scientists is, is crucial now. Talking about scientists, I mean, the thing that always fascinates me is the CMORL covers everything. You know, my world is, is pretty digitally focused, but, you know, you've got responsibility for in-store, for direct mail, for potentially call centre stuff. It's just so much. How do you, how does any CMO keep up with technology, especially it's moving so fast now, the development of it? How do you keep up? Yeah, I mean, it, it helps obviously having great people around you. So have a great team and get the culture right within that team where you've got this constant drive for continually improving what you do and how you do it. If you've got a team that are hungry for knowledge and hungry to continue to better things, that's super helpful. And then pick your agency partners really, really well. I'm lucky enough at the moment to work with a brilliant team in WPP in my current job. My last role, I got to work with a fantastic team at the Seven Stars on Media, McCann on Creative and and Part of what, actually, the seven stars was not a bad example. When we appointed at TSB the seven stars, part of the pitch process was for them to create a North Star initiative, which was to get TSB at the front end, the pioneering end of, of data and digital. And that was part of what won them the pitch. And I think those kind of relationships are really healthy with, with, with agency partners, particularly media agencies in this space, of how are we all going to head towards something that is really pioneering really cutting edge that delivers on the numbers but keeps pushing us forward to be the very best at what we can be as opposed to often these things can become quite passive media buying relationships so to work, work with really great partners who can push you forwards you can upskill and move your team forwards the other bit that um boots have done particularly well and i've seen in other companies it is around also training your marketing team you know and, and organizations like e-consultancy do this really well as do others is upskill your team with the very latest knowledge in, in digital marketing, how it works, what the tools are, what you can do, what the opportunity is, and then give your team practical ways they can start using that straight away. And often that gets forgotten about. The marketing teams are sort of end up having to catch up rather than being given some specific training. So there's great training out there. The School of Marketing is another great example, not-for-profit, absolutely brilliant organization. Richie Meta runs that. Great organization that gives uh, training to marketers at the it's real sort of cutting edge of where their skill set needs to be today. Um, so, yeah, that helps. And uh, so, yeah, training, development, and work with great partners. So, Nick, let's, what's, if you can, what one technology you're most excited about at the moment? There's so many tools out there that you have to sort of help 
do your job better? What one technology are you most excited about? CTV, well, AR, VR? Um, it was probably, if I mention a, a company and what they're doing, I mean, I, I developed a relationship with TSB through Seven Stars with a company called InfoSum. And InfoSum have a fantastic platform where you can load up your first-party data. It's all anonymized. It's in a secure data bunker. And through that, you're able to match audiences with fantastic media owners like Global ITV and Channel 4. And then, in fact, by matching audiences from those media owners. So um, I class that as probably my favorite bit of technology at the moment is their secure data bunker. And the way you can do that in a post-GDPR world in a secure way, you know, for a brand that I worked on before, which was a bank that was very much about security, um, a business like InfoSum provides a great way to do that. So I get really excited about the opportunities Things like the, the, the InfoSum data bunker provides in being able to better reach your customers through really targeted media in ways that as a marketeer I've only dreamed of. You know, in the glory days of direct mail when I dreamt of the right product in front of the right customer at the right time. Actually, you know, tools like those provided by InfoSum make that a much greater reality through more or even more sort of broadcast, what you would call broadcast media in a digital age. Um, so, yeah, I get very excited about platforms like that. Talk about platforms. What about the other sort of big topic of conversation is in housing? You know, it comes to brands' use of digital technology in housing. I mean, it's been in the housing argument has been around forever. You know, back in the days of search, there's lots of movements there. But in housing is, is a big thing at the moment, especially because there's so much. We come to you know programmatic technologies. How do you think? I mean, how does that impact you? What do you think of in housing? How much technology should brands be bringing in house? Um, I, I mean, I like in, in sourcing. I've, I've not worked in a business where I've insourced an aspect of media yet, but I, but I have worked alongside people that have and have had good experience of it. Um, I've insourced creative a few times, and I've done that um, uh, more in, in um, I guess, day-to-day, you know, banners, displays, emails, so on. Just, just about the speed and immediacy of being able to do that has been really key. And also in a world where you've got greater use of data, you need, uh, you know, for mass personalization, you need that, that speed of creativity. Um, the critical bit, I think, in any, any sort of insourcing, I guess, statement of the obvious is, is trying to work out what have you got to add that an agency doesn't? Because you can do it to save cost. That's, that's one thing, but actually, what, what, what are you going to do that's going to be different or better than the setup you've got today? What's the added value you bring? And also, how would you keep that function fresh? Because it's the same with creative, it's the same for media. It is the benefit of working through a media agency is you're plugged into the, the kind of the broader um, base camp of, of a business that works with multiple businesses, works directly with media owners, and, and should be at the forefront of adva- you know, advancements. If you do all that yourself, you have to be pretty darn sure that you're going to be able to do that without that bigger infrastructure. Um, so, yeah, I, I would think, you know, what what's extra value can you bring? It's got to be more than just about cost-cutting. And also, you've got to be sure you're going to attract the right level of talent because some of the talent may not want to work in certain types of industry. They may not want to work in financial services, for example. They may prefer an industry setup. So you've got to yourself also be attractive um, and you've got to be, uh, you know, you've got to show the aspiration to, to attract and get those sorts of people into an organisation like yours. When you mentioned agencies, you mentioned agencies quite a lot in this conversation. Let's talk about agencies and the, the role of agencies. Obviously, you know, you've worked with multiple different partners over your career. And when you come to talk about in-housing, obviously, they play such an important role. So how does the agency-client relationship develop? What's at stake now? How do you, do you see the agency-client role develop? What role do they play for you? It's got to be about the extra value they can add 
on top of the day job. I mean, I think I've, as you say, worked with some great agencies. And, and um, the difference between a, a good agency and a great and amazing agency is, is about the value they add on top of doing the day job. You know, so, yeah, there are lots of agencies you can use to buy your media. You know, for me, where the relationship breaks down is when you're prescriptively telling your, your media agency, I'd like to spend money on TV out of home and radio and they go away and do that and you go well have we added value to each other here probably not so you know whereas actually the relationship that goes look i've got this business objective this is the audience i'm grappling with going after how do i best do that and what value can the agency bring to that well if they're giving audience overlays greater insight on the life of that those audience members and the best ways to reach them in the most cost-effective efficient way that becomes real value and it becomes a real kind of build on on what you're looking to do as a client um and referencing again that the, the seven stars north star initiative i referenced earlier on is you know those agencies that push you beyond and take you into the territory where you're at the forefront or leading edge of where you need to be using the latest technology and pushing to be the very very best in the industry that you can be um so that that, that makes great part it's a true partnership if you are together pushing each other forward being more successful, more progressive in what you're doing, learning and stretching each other. Um, yeah, if it becomes purely about a transactional relationship or the, the workload becomes imbalanced between the two sides, that for me is far less effective and far less uh, exciting a partnership to work on. What do you think about the pitch process? I ask this, especially because that North South seems now just excellent, sort of how pitch should be, but we see more and more discussion of the fact that is the pitch process broken? You know, agencies investing so much money. The Walgreen example in the States recently was interesting, you know, uh, to repitch, it comes back to, to the same agency that had it. You know, the pitch process is uh, a huge resource drain potentially for both clients and agencies. How is the pitch process itself changing for the better, do you think? Yeah, I think I've... I mean, I've had good experience of the pitch processes I've been involved with over the last uh, couple of years, really, with, with, and the most recent one's been through, through TSB. And um, I think if you start with start with a really clear objective of what you're trying to do, and that sounds really obvious, but be really clear up front what you're looking for. And also, if you're looking to move away from an, a current incumbent, it's sort of what, what you're looking for in something new, whether, whether you choose to stay with the same person or same agency or go somewhere different, what's going to make the real difference? What's the thing you're looking for? So if I look at the appointment of the seven stars with TSB, it was about finding an agency that had the same challenger spirit who wanted to be disruptive and challenging in the same way TSB were looking to do that within banking. So that was a, a perfect marriage of the two agencies. The brief was super clear. So do it with the right intent where you clear what the, the difference you're expecting is from the, the relationship. Um, and also just, again, finding really good people to run, run the process. You know, I've, I've worked with some great uh, agencies who've been fantastic at running a really good, you know, great process. Um, there's also a bit around, I think, bringing a bit of, um, I guess, it, yeah, humanity into the process. And so, so I'll, give, I'll give you an example. Is, is we worked on the, um, the media agency pitch at TSB with a guy called David Meekle, who runs an agency called How to Bag a Gorilla, which is a great name to remember. And I worked with David in the post office. And um, he brings something really, really great to the, um, the pitch process where there's obviously a series of questions you're asking the agency. Uh, that they're answering and then uh, the last question he, he asked is 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 often a, a, a question to see how the agency works on its feet so the question he asked in the media pitch uh, was about um, if i wanted to find out how many golf balls are in the air at any one time how would i do it okay and um obviously nothing to do with media buying and planning but actually it was fascinating to see how the agency teams 
came together to work out how they do it. And, and the answer doesn't matter. But actually, in that split second, you either see blind panic in people's eyes of, golly, wow, okay. Or, or you see a team come together who support each other, collaborate, yeah, and make it happen and listen to each other. And, uh, you know, with Seven Stars, we saw that immediately. This was a team that, A, liked being with each other, B, you know, developed a really good answer and built on each other's ideas. And we came away going, you know what? It, it was interesting. Everything else did stand out, but that thing particularly stood out when we went, these are our kind of people. We like how they think. We like how they work and how they think on their feet. So, so I think you can make a process really interesting to not just get the stuff out of it you need, like you know, costings and you know, case studies and all the bits that are important, but you can get under the skin of, I think, an agency and them of you as a client to go, how do these guys operate and think on the ground? And are they the kind of people, are we the kind of people together that we all want to spend more time together in, in a partnership? Um, so yeah, a lot of thought into the process you want to run, what you want to get out of it, I think matters. And, and go with a, a very clear idea of what, what better looks like, You know, whether that's going to be remaining where you are, which is perfectly valid. I've, I've seen that happen when I was at Aviva with, with Zurich. Or if you want to, as we did with TSB, move to somewhere new, um, be very clear what, what that great thing looks like. Uh, so you're clear that whether you've achieved that in the process or not. So what was the answer? How, how did they come up with finding out how many golf balls were in the air? I'm sorry. Oh, it was funny. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, um, it was to do with um, uh, working out the number of golf clubs in the UK uh, and then working out how many people at any one time could be on the golf course playing and then sort of calculating that together. Broadly was the answer. Um, David's got another brilliant one, which is uh, he did it in the post office pitch he did for me was around if I wanted to find out how many two Ps there were in the UK at any one time, um, how would I do that? And that's also interesting because all you got to do is Google it and uh, Royal Mint's got the answer. But 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 you see people got two, literally got two Ps out of their wallet and we're going, adding up going, if we add multiply this by the number of people in the UK and so, but it's, well, what's interesting that, that there is not necessarily a wrong answer. It's more about the thought process and about how teams work together um, which is so powerful. And in any, particularly in an agency partnership relationship, you want, you want to feel like there's a huge sense of team spirit, people coming together to solve any challenge. I love that so much. That's fantastic. So let's talk about our other potential challenges for the CMO itself. What misconceptions do you think exist in the wider organisation about, about the CMO role? You know, this is the creative guy or girl in the corner just getting with painting some pretty stuff, or it used to be the case, I guess, a long, long time ago. But what misconceptions do exist and, and how do you get over them? Yeah, I think the first one is one you've outlined, which is, I guess, coming back to that Interbrand four-box model, is that marketeers are sort of the communications engine, but that's sort of all they do. So I think you've got a myth bust around the fact that, yeah, absolutely, we do marketing communications in its broadest sense, but we add value and support the business on customer experience, you know, the culture of the organization and the, and the, the, the makeup of proposition development as well. And you've got to, in my view, be involved in that as a CMO. So yeah, you're right. Misconception one is, is CMOs do comms only. And the second one is that, that marketing is sort of this mysterious thing that kind of can't be measured and it's a cost, not an investment. And um, so as marketers, you, you've got to be able to evidence, I guess, probably state the obvious, but evidence the value of what you're bringing and the investment. You know, you know, is, your, is marketing seen as a cost or an investment? And the only way to answer that is by having really good metrics, really good measurements to prove the value of what you're bringing and also the potential opportunity for, for further marketing investment going forwards. So marketing needs to be seen as a highly commercial team that's adding value to the business, not a, not a cost line and not an area where 
the focus is purely on communications and creative, but where the focus is far more around the customer and customer experience. And what's next for the CMO? We did an event last last almost a year before because it was in, in the real world at the Ivy, but event and looking at the fact that often it's the CFO that gets the CEO role. It's not a natural step for the CMO. Again, things are changing fast. So what what I'm not talking about you for here, you've been asking for your secrets really, but what's the next role for a CMO? Should the CMO naturally be expected to go into the CEO role, as in run the business, whole business itself, or not? Yeah, I think the CMO absolutely, absolutely could. I mean, I, I think there's a there's maybe a middle step, which is more of a sort of commercial director type role, where again, if, if you're running a marketing really well, where you, you've got a very commercial focus in the way you're spending your investment and what you're doing, you've therefore got a really good handle on how a business is is uh, driving growth. And the role you're playing in driving growth, you've got a really good understanding of the products that you're providing, the service you're providing, the customers you're serving, and the customer experience you're providing. That, in essence, in part, is really a commercial director that is a step away from being a CEO. So look, I, I see no issue with the CMO becoming a CEO. I've seen examples where it's happened brilliantly. But there may be a middle step where, for a CMO, if you really want to cut your teeth and prove yourself in a broader commercial role, then a commercial director is, is a way through to do that um outside that I, I i've seen some cmo roles obviously broadened to be a sort of chief customer officer or chief growth officer um i think that equally fits with sort of the commercial director type role um your critical bit is having customer at the heart of the role and being super commercial in everything you do if you can bring those bits together you're a step further towards uh, a ceo role in, in, in my view the critical bit is a commerciality that you bring to an organization what do you think of that? There was a, a sort of trend for quite a while of CMOs becoming CGOs. I think Burger King got rid of the CMO and brought the role back and back and forth. And CGO seems to be sort of the, the trendy new role. It's shines coming up a bit, I think. But what do you think of the CGO role? Does it do what it says? Does every client need one? Um, yeah, I mean, every every client needs growth. I guess the question is, do you need to call someone a CGO to get the growth? And, and I think if you position the CMO role in the right way, the CMO role can absolutely be that that growth officer role if you're coordinating and working with the rest of the business in the right way. So I'm, I guess I'm not too worried about the title, provided, you know, as marketers, you're driving that growth, then, uh, yeah, go for it, be known for it, and, uh, and show the business you're the, you're the personal, you're the team that's going to drive that growth. Okay, we haven't talked about pandemic yet, so let's do it. You mentioned just uh, the important things having the customer at the heart of whatever you do. Now, as we know, the consumer behaviour has just changed hugely over the last year and maybe changed, you know, for good. So how does, how does CMO, how, how, do you, how do you make decisions about the brand when consumer behaviour is changing so fast? You know, we just don't know, hopefully coming out of this pandemic very soon, things crossed, we don't know if these behaviours changes are endemic, you know, so how do you ensure that you're totally tapped into the customer? We've got to constantly be in listening mode. That's been my big learning over the last year. And we've nearly been in some form of mode of lockdown or uh, tiering probably for, since last March. And I think my learning has been you've got to be in a constant listening mode with your customers. So you know, you've got to understand the mood of the nation and the sentiment of the nation, their views towards you as a brand and the products and services you provide. Um, and also keep a constant eye on on where you see those future trends going and again by listening and talking to customers you know no, no one can fully predict everything but there's a good barometer if you are talking and engaging to customers going you know what what are you feeling like at the moment when we come out of lockdown what are the things that are most important to you what do you plan to do first 
those things I think are really helpful towards you know, future planning. And the bit that is really going to help, and at the time of going to recording of this this uh, chat together, obviously we've got a roadmap uh, moving forwards from the government, so that's helpful. Now there's some dates set out that businesses can start to work towards, and you can start to then map sentiment against some of those key dates and expectations of what consumers want to do as, as lockdown gets eased. So it is about listening. Okay, you won't get a perfect answer, but you will at least get a read. Um, and so I mean, one of the things that constantly has come up in the sentiment I've seen over the last three or four months has been, you know, that even when we come out of lockdown, people will still want to, you know, be very aware of, of hygiene in, in shops or bank branches and this kind of thing. So again, if you're listening as a brand, not only will you be opening up more, but you know the facilities and what you offer. We also be very aware that things like hand sanitizers. You walk into a bank branch is still really important. And so again, listening really matters. The context really matters around consumer confidence and what their expectations are as, as we all come out of lockdown again. So yeah, important to keep listening. Fantastic. And let's end. Uh, we always like to be optimistic on NDA, and as you just said, we're coming out of this pandemic. What? are you most optimistic about in the year ahead? Let, let's assume we're out of the pandemic, so take that as red. But what, what are you most excited or optimistic about in, you know, within your role, within the wider marketing industry in which, in which you sit? Well, I'm, I'm really excited about the role of marketing and helping businesses achieve growth, increase consumer confidence, and, and help us come out the other side of, of the challenging 12 months that, that, that we've had, not just as a country, but, but globally as well. Um, I think marketing is in the right way, really can create the right platform for growth but because they're closest to the customer, um, they're closest to the sentiment of the customer, and also got a really clear handle on, on the brand experience that, that, that customers are looking for moving forwards, and also can help spot opportunities and connect those opportunities with, with the wider organisation. So so I'm, I'm positive in the role marketing can play, I think is probably the way to summarise it. And part of the reason I'm confident is just seeing how well a number of brands have responded through the pandemic over the last you know, 11 to 12 months in terms of you know, some of the work brands have done to help people who are most in need um, through to just some very smart advertising you know, uh, through um, the pandemic from brands. I mean, just a good example, you know, how do you capitalise on a situation where um, people are at home more? Well, actually, great advertising, great marketing, great communication still can work, can still connect with people even through a pandemic and can still uh, really work well. So I'm excited about the campaigns we're going to see. I'm excited about how marketing will help move the nation and move growth forwards uh, over the next few months and beyond. Amazing. Well, Pete, as ever, it's been fantastic to spend time with you. That was a great chat at the Seminole in its future. So hope to see you again very soon. And thank you, Scott, for joining us. Great, thank you. And thank you for listening. Goodbye.